Warrior Woman. Welcome back to the Warrior School Podcast. This is episode 203. I have a guest for you today. I am joined by fellow dietitian Nikki Hursthouse. I don't know if I can call myself a dietitian anymore because I'm not registered. I am a dietitian. I guess I could say non-registered dietitian. <laughs> uh, Nikki, she is a registered dietitian <laughs> uh, in New Zealand. And Nikki and I first met over a decade ago during our master's in dietetics in Melbourne, Australia. And Nikki went into the clinical world uh, when she first finished uh, her master's. But after years of working in a clinical setting, so in hospitals, um, you know, doing community dietetics, she felt really unsatisfied. Uh, And I've spoken about this before, how when I went to do my major clinical placement, in a hospital. Uh, And when I finished, uh, I graduated with a master's in dietetics. I remember my dad saying to me, okay, so now are you going to get a real job like a dietitian in a hospital? And I said to him, dad, my soul would die if I had to go and work in that place uh, every day, all day. And so after years of Nikki working in this clinical setting, she began to see a lot of gaps uh, within the medical system and the way, you know, um, traditional dietetics was practiced in those systems. She felt really unsatisfied. She felt like she couldn't really powerfully help the people that she wanted to help. So she left and you'll hear uh, about her story. So she'll share Uh, about her background and her story in the podcast conversations and what she's been up to over the last 10 years. But over the last few years, she's been building her business and she's back in New Zealand and she lives with her husband and her daughter. And she talks about how she's been really drawn into this work that she currently does. And that is helping busy women manage stress and overcome gut problems So that's what we talk about in today's podcast episode, really how we can help, you know, how, how busy women, she calls them the modern woman. And I really love it. She talks about the modern woman iceberg and it's a really, uh, it's a very funky uh, idea and it's a really funky image. So head to her Instagram page and I believe it's at the top left. Uh, I think she's pinned it her modern woman iceberg and it's such a cool way to look at uh, all of this training and health stuff so we speak about that but essentially our whole conversation really is around stress and how we can thrive as busy modern women in today's world so we talk about stress the gut how stress affects the gut signs of an unhappy gut how we can support our gut and manage our stress uh, as modern women. We talk about Nikki's work. Uh, She's got a really cool uh, free guide, the Ultimate Women's Gut Health Guide that you can download. I highly recommend that you download it. And also check out her work. She's got a podcast called How to Thrive. And she has a program called the Modern Woman Program. And really in that program, she's helping you busy 
busy women, busy woman, (laughs) nourish her body and mind through nutrition, mindset and physiology. She's also a registered yoga teacher. And we really speak about the importance of having a movement practice um, to help us manage stress. I had the privilege uh, of actually doing some work with Nikki a few months ago. She asked me to come inside her community and do a few presentations and webinars on uh, training, strength training, the importance of strength training and training with our physiology. Okay, so let's do it. I hope you enjoy, no, I know you'll enjoy this lovely conversation with my dear friend and fellow dietitian, Nikki Hursthaus. Here we go, Nikki. Welcome to the Warrior School podcast. Oh, thank you, Amy. I'm super excited to be chatting to you today. <gasps> okay, first, where are you in the world? Because you have a really cool accent. Uh, I'm based in Auckland, New Zealand. And I want to start, Nikki and I have known each other for a long time. Uh, Well, what is it? It's over 10 years now. Yeah. 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 Must be. Yeah. We did our master's in dietetics together in Melbourne at Deakin. That's where we first met. And here we are 11 years later. We're going to do a podcast together today. Yeah, it's exciting. (laughs) It is exciting. I guess I'd love to start, Nikki, with a bit of your story. And let's start with what you do now, currently, and then let's go back and connect some of your dots into, we could go back to when we first met, uh, but let's start with what you do. Yeah, and it's good to start now because connecting the dots could be a little bit of a a journey (laughs) because I feel like it's taken quite a while for me to get to this place as well. So the story leading here has some ins and outs. Um, So right now I work, I have my own private practice and I work as a dietitian, but I'm also a trained yoga teacher. Uh, and I predominantly work with women who are burnt out with gut issues who pretty much feel like they've tried everything. They're fed up of where they're at and they just need something more to get them to where they need to go. And um, over, I guess over the years, the way I worked as a dietitian, I always felt like something was missing and uh, – Back when I was living in London, I also trained as a yoga teacher there, well, yoga and meditation teacher. And I always kept trying to find ways to kind of like bring the two together because I felt like they did fit together. But I think traditionally, in the traditional dietetics world, it's it's like we don't want to blend, you know, Eastern and Western principles of caring for ourselves and healthcare. And I just kept finding, trying to find ways that it did come together. And the more I started to delve into the gut health space, the more I kept seeing women with gut issues that would be presenting and, you know, they'd be expecting the solution to come from food. And the more we'd work together, it's like the food wasn't quite 
the solution because there are all these other things going on and most of it is that connection between their mind and their body but ultimately the connection they had with themselves because they sort of become more and more disconnected and they're sort of feeling that these symptoms are not you know something that they can control it's like or they need to solve it with changing their food um so slowly started to bring in more of that mind body connection and particularly I guess the mind gut connection and slowly bringing in different things from the yoga and meditation training and 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 testing it I guess with people who are open to trying um different solutions and over time it was evident that well actually we need to focus on that connection and managing the nervous system and that stress piece first before we even look at the nutrition side of it and and so they're sort of the women come in from one angle but they sort of go through the journey in a different way and come out the other side uh, I guess quite different to where they began yeah, and that's what I'd love to talk to you about today. You know, I want the bulk of our conversation to really be about the work that you do now and talking about stress and the gut and this journey that they go on. But I would love to just talk a little bit about, uh, you know, leading up to this point and you were just saying, you know, when you were practicing as a dietitian, there was like something missing. Uh, can you just talk to us a little bit about you know, what you were doing previously uh, for work when you were in London and then, uh, you know, in, did you practice in Australia for a little while before moving mm, to London? Mm. Yeah. I mean, you, you probably um, have spoken about the sort of that expectation when you finish dietetics, you go work as a clinical dietitian and <laughs> go, go get that job that everyone wants in the hospital. And ultimately I did, I, I worked as a clinical dietitian as a in, um, as a new grad in teaching hospital in Melbourne, and that was amazing. It was you know great experience, great first job, um, but it was a clinical job in the hospital, and I found it quite draining on myself, um, and I didn't necessarily want to get stuck there. Like it was amazing, but a lot of the people I worked with you know, they'd worked in the same place for 10 years and never worked anywhere else. And I sort of thought, well, I think there's more. Um, and I got the, I've always had a bit of a travel bug and then I got more of a travel bug. And so I left uh, Melbourne, traveled through America on my way to London. I'd got a visa to work in London thinking, well, I'm going to run out of money at some point. I need to get a job. And that happened faster than expected because you know, London is expensive, but I started working as a locum in the NHS as well. And so that was the same going back into hospitals. And I sort of thought, well, I didn't actually move halfway across the world to do what I was doing in Melbourne, particularly when I was in such a good hospital in Melbourne compared to some of the hospitals I was at um, in the UK. And so I sort of kept thinking, oh, maybe I'll try something different. And then I ended up getting a role within a startup company. So it was a health tech company. They were very new. I was probably the third or fourth employee. But ironically, being a health tech company, I was the first actual healthcare professional employed in the company. Um, 
but I mean, that was a role where all of a sudden it's like everything I did had nothing to do with dietetics. It was like everything from customer service to processing orders um, to doing tech testing online, like this whole world of stuff <laughs> that I'd never experienced. Um, and it was it was good. It was like all of a sudden I was learning all the stuff that you don't learn as a dietitian. Like it was business stuff. It was like we had to get funding. It was a startup. We had to go into corporates. And it was like, where's the company going to go? And it's an abs- like it's a chaotic journey, the startup world. It's like being on a roller coaster that you think might fall apart any second, but it's going so incredibly fast and you just don't know <laughs> whether you can stay on or not. Um, but I mean, I stayed there for quite some time. I My visa ran out. I wanted to keep working for them. I could work remotely. So I got to spend some time living in Lisbon while I waited for my visa to be processed, which Lisbon is my most favorite place in the entire world. <laughs> and then my visa got renewed. So after kind of three months, I was back in London for a little bit longer. Um, and when I came back, that's when I trained as a yoga teacher. The the reason I sort of delved into that is like I'd always been curious. Even when I started and moved to London, I was like, oh, maybe I want to train as a yoga teacher. But it was sort of never really put as a priority then. Um, and then yoga became like my coping mechanism for living in a concrete jungle at a very fast-paced city with a very fast-paced job, but also trying to live the overseas experience of traveling to Europe on the weekends and making, you know, the most of being on Europe's doorstep. And so it was a coping mechanism for that and also for managing my own mental health. And so training as a yoga teacher was quite full on um, to manage that on top of everything already but it was like all of a sudden things started to make sense and I met a whole bunch of people that I was like well these are these are my people like they they realize that there's more outside of this like traditional um way of doing things and it's not like I want to do things that are you know far-fetched and never kind of experimented on before but a lot of it is that it's like traditional practices that have thousands and thousands of years of basis and they do have a lot more actual research behind it now. But it is, I think you've talked about it as well, it's like that anecdotal experience, but this is like thousands of years of anecdotal experience and now we've got scientific research and now we're bringing it all together to say, okay, let's bring it. Um, And then the reason I kind of wanted to bring more of the yoga and meditation into my own work is my own personal experience. Like I got to the end of my time in London, I was completely burnt out. Like I was at the point where if anyone asked me what I was doing when I left the UK, I just wanted to burst into tears. Like I didn't want to think about having a job. I didn't want anyone to have any like expectations because I I didn't have anything more in me to be able to give. (laughs) And when you're in like an industry where you have to give yourself to help people, it's very hard to keep going when you can't like actually have anything more to give. Um, And so then came back and then, you know, we went straight into a pandemic, like after moving home. So it's like trying to, it was trying to navigate all of that. And so I just kept working in a traditional 
clinical role, like in private practice though, just seeing patients, giving them their nutritional intervention and then going in. But, and then um, sort of started to bring a little bit more into my own private practice clients. And then I really, like when I went on maternity leave last year, I kind of had a bit of a time to step back and actually think, well, what's missing? Like why are these clients not making the progress that we want them to make like what more can they have what more do they need to be able to make that progress and that's when I was like well just need to bring it in need to like go go full on commit to bringing in the whole working on their nervous system working on their stress management understanding that connection with their breath and their body and just need to bring all of that together and just be like this is what is needed to push you to that point you want to be. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, there's a lot of dots in there. And I mm-hmm. I talk about this, you know, with my story quite a lot. Um, you know, I remember when I finished my master's, my dad said to me, now are you going to go get a job like a real dietitian, like in a hospital? And I said to him, no, dad, my soul would die. Like I would die in there, that place. Uh, Because when we did our major clinical placement, my nervous system was, it it just couldn't handle it being trapped inside that hospital, uh, mostly the environmental thing. Of Mm. course, it was really cool to learn from, you know, some amazing dietitians that have been in the field for a long time. But just when you were speaking, it's almost like those potentially become the women that we work with because they've been in an environment that is so stressful in their nervous system for so long. It's like those are the women that start to get the stress stuff and the hormonal stuff and the gut stuff. And an environment, your environment is just so powerful. And so I remember having that conversation of like, no, I just, I could never do it. I can't be inside there. Uh, and then there's so many pieces of your story that, you know, I think it's it's so cool when you like travel and live life and have all of these experiences in your own story because then you start to see like, hey, actually, like stress is a really big, pl- like a really big player and the environment is a really big piece. And I just feel like, you know, we were never taught this stuff in school And then let alone, you know, I've done an exercise science degree and then we both did a master's in dietetics. Like we weren't taught this stuff either. Like it's so specialized and it serves its place for sure. You know, you've got to go see a surgeon for a particular thing. They're very specialized. They're going to help you. In a clinical Mm. setting, dietitians are very specialized. You know, they're doing things like enteral nutrition and TPN and like all of these, you know, very specialized things. But when you come outside of those bubbles and you see actually no, like the population is just so stressed. Women are so stressed and we can't solve this just through food. Uh, Mm. Yeah, sure. It's a main player, but there's so many other variables to it. And yeah, I think like you just said at the start of your story, like getting out and like traveling and living your life and doing different jobs, it helps you become a better teacher, a better coach, a better dietitian than, um, yeah, than being, I think, in in one place. Uh, you can serve, serve your clients and these women more powerfully. 
Mm, yeah, yeah. And it's great to have this conversation because one comment I've got um, <clears throat> not that long ago um, when I was, I was talking about my program and I guess the different pillars of it and how there is such a big focus on the nervous system and stress and all of that. And they're like, but how does a dietitian do all of that? And and it's like trying to get out of that that box that dietitians get put in a lot of the time of, well, you just you just talk about food. That's it, you know? Yeah, and it, de- it depends where you are because in a hospital, mm. yes, you're only allowed to talk about food and that is, <laughs> but that's your role yeah. and it serves its purpose. But outside and, you know, and I think when you're talking about the startup and learning all of these skills, you know, that have now I'm sure helped you in your business, uh, running your own business. But yeah, it's the idea of like you're a trainer, so you only talk about training or you're a dietitian you only talk about nutrition and some yes I totally I totally think that that's fine if you just want to do that but I think when it comes to the women that we work with the age uh that they're they're in you know the season of life you can't just talk about the one thing like it it Mm. doesn't it doesn't work just focusing on one thing we need to look at the bigger picture and I guess I'd love to start by asking you, what were you seeing, you know, when you were seeing, you know, these women or, you know, do you work with uh, men also or just mainly women? I mean, I did a little bit in the last couple of years, but now sort of coming back post-mat leave and um, just sort of focusing in a little bit more, it is predominantly focused on women. And just because there's huge differences in, I mean, one, women's life whether or not they've had children whether or not they've gone through pregnancies like where they are with regards to you know peri and postmenopause and um just general uh the anatomy of a woman with their gut and their reproductive organs it's all so different so it it's the focus is just trying to keep it focused and make sure that they get the best um I guess solution to their problems yeah I was saying to on my coaching call the other day to my women we we're talking about plyometrics and like its effect on uh, our metabolic health and body composition and we were just talking and laughing about how I think it was 2014 to 2021 six percent of the exercise science research was done on women like we're still so understudied and under-researched in mm. health and exercise science because there's a lot going on. Yeah. Like there is a lot going on hormonally, like you just said with the gut. Uh, And so we just don't have a lot of research uh, on us, which is why I believe working in spaces as a coach or practitioner and supporting women is so important. And especially through like qualitative, just experience, our own experience. And just after you work with like hundreds and hundreds of women, you just, you have, you develop this really strong qualitative, I guess, kind of database. And Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to just start talking about, about that, like, you know, through your work, what were you seeing? Like, what were the really big Mm. problems or the really big gaps? And then how did you start to fill them in and kind of focus and zone in on the gut stuff? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting isn't it because often women they sort of present let's say there's one problem 
but then it's like, oh, but also I want this. So it would be, okay, I've got uncontrolled IBS symptoms. Oh, but also I want to lose weight. I'm really bloated. Oh, but also I want to lose weight. Um, I've got like pre-diabetes, but also I want to lose weight. And so <laughs> it's like that current theme because there is this one issue, um, you know, which is probably more either effect, you know, with uncontrolled gut symptoms affecting their quality of life, maybe feeling making them feel not very confident to be able to exercise or do social things and um and that sort of piece. But then they also sort of add that layer of like, whoa, actually is the key to my happiness weight loss. So maybe I'll add that in there to see if we can we can get that there. However, when you sort of dive when I would dive deeper into their reasoning and sort of their past experience, usually it was, okay, they yo-yo dieted a lot throughout their life so far. They've experienced weight loss before, but, you know, that's come back on. Nothing was ever sustainable. And ultimately, even when they had experienced the weight loss, it didn't necessarily change, I guess, their view of themselves or their uh, their confidence. It didn't kind of, it wasn't the key that they were looking for. And like going through kind of like, it's like peeling back the layers of the onion. Um, mm. It becomes more apparent that it's more around their self-worth, like what makes them feel worthy. Um, and also a lot of that sort of lack of self-worth comes from not ever prioritizing themselves. Like they're constantly giving and giving and giving, whether that be to their job or their family, that they don't prioritize themselves or they, and then once they finally get to like, okay, maybe they're at the point where children have left home or they are at university, like they have got adult children. So they should be able to have a little bit more time back to focus on themselves. Yet they're sort of like, oh, but they then that sort of guilt piece comes in being like, oh, but I need to be doing it for other people. Like they just, they have got to a point that they've spent so long not ever putting themselves first that they don't really know how to do that. Um, and then in, in amongst that is also this sort of layer of like chronic stress, um, which comes from not ever feeling like they've got enough fuel in the tank. Um, kind of like trying, I sort of say it's like trying to see how far they can go on and like with a fuel light on. It's like they're going and going, going and with that chronic stress, they sort of present being like, oh, I'm not stressed, I'm fine. But then we start to like dive into, well, what does stress feel like for you? Like, where do you kind of sit? It's like, oh, usually sitting at like a seven or eight out of 10 for stress. Like, you know, that's my normal. I'm like, well, that's sort of then where that piece comes in of we need to actually see what that stress is doing. So, I mean, part of it is starting to get them to tune into what it feels like for them. Like what does stress feel like? Um, what does it present for them? Like <clears throat> physical symptoms or mental symptoms? Like, is it just the crankiness? Is it being short with their loved ones? Like what is it that it shows up as? But then there's also another piece where within um, my program, I use um sort of like the most advanced like wearable technology for measuring heart rate variability. So I bring that piece in so that they can wear the device. They can see how their body is reacting to situations in their day-to-day -day life. And then we can see how that affects their sleep overnight. And then we can see how that affects their decision-making around 
whether they what foods they're going to choose and whether or not they're going to move their body and how they're going to make decisions about whether or not their coping mechanisms are going to help them or I guess hinder their sort of body resources as well and that's whole piece is it's using technology in a way that gets them to understand what's going on inside and then they start to learn okay well that's what it feels like so then when they're not doing an assessment with the wearable device then they can start to learn that they can identify that themselves and the more they tune into their body the more they start to connect the more they can feel more in control and like they have ownership over the decisions and how they feel and then that just all of a sudden kind of opens it up from feeling like they don't have time don't have control like all that kind of like restriction and um I guess <laughs> the deprivation cycle as well to opening it up to being like you you've got control it's like you it's more empowering you can do this it's like that positive piece where they can kind of like let's just open it up and like you can see the road ahead is like much bigger and wider then it's sort of feeling like very restricted and closed in yeah when you're speaking you know what comes to mind for me is self-doubt and disconnection like we're so many of us are so disconnected from our bodies and mostly from the culture, yeah, just for so long being told what to do and trying so many things. And also we're really good numbers. <laughs> I remember watching Brené Brown's talk, like her original TED talk. This is like 12, I don't know, 13, 15 years ago. And I remember her saying there's this piece in the TED talk where she's like, we are the most overweight, addicted, in debt adult cohort that's ever existed. And it all came from like numbing. You know, we're just very good at like, mm. like numbing and turning away or putting our attention. Women are very good at putting their attention on everyone else in their life, like in their lives, you know, their children or their family or, you know, whoever. And so there's this massive disconnection of, you know, and self-doubt because they've tried so many things before and those things haven't worked. And so then they start like doubting themselves that they are failing and they aren't doing enough and it's them. And, and so we've just got these two kind of like chronic things that are like underneath the wanting more energy or wanting to get rid of the symptom or wanting to lose the weight. It's like, well, no, we got to work on this connection piece and mm. we've got to make you sure of yourself that what you're doing is working for you. So yeah, when you were talking, that's what came up for me, you know, really what the bulk of the work sounds like for you is helping them to reconnect to themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a, and a big piece of what you mentioned, the numbing, um, it's interesting because what is a big part of going through yoga teacher training but also being teaching some of the principles of yoga is like learning to sit with discomfort and I guess that's something that we as a society are not very good at and I would say a lot of the women who when they first start working with me like that's something where whenever there's discomfort, they divert, they distract to something else. And like what you said, it's that it's numbing it because we don't want to feel discomfort because I think a lot of it's like you don't want to be a bother or you don't want to like 
be a hindrance that you're you're feeling something like openly but you also don't want that to come up in yourself and a lot of with the um teachings with yoga and I mean it's only one part of the teaching with like the asana like the poses is that you learn to sit through discomfort and it's not that it's um painful it's just you might be holding say for example you're holding a pose for like a couple more breaths than what feels so that's just it feels slightly stronger than than what you're used to but it's knowing that you can breathe through that so it's the same as when you start to feel um you know some early signs of stress or maybe you're feeling angry or frustrated or or there's that is that you know that guilt feeling or self-doubt you know what is it that's making you feel and it's like that gut brain connection because often we feel it in our stomach like the pit of our stomach or like butterflies or what is it but it's learning to breathe through that discomfort so that you can actually start to identify how you're reacting to something um and understand that it's going to pass it's like riding the waves so you just have to learn to breathe through it and then we come through the other side rather than like a lot of women it's like we get to that overwhelmed overworked completely burnt out haven't fueled themselves all day and then they just go into this kind of like trance of kind of like eating to fuel themselves but it's like just mindless eating at the end of the day and then all of a sudden they kind of snap out of it and are like whoa what just happened (laughs) and that's like that's how they've brought that coping mechanism in and so it's trying to you know slowly work for them to identify those and then bring other coping mechanisms in place instead. Yeah, it's, um, and that's why I call it the long way home. Like it is a, it's a longer journey. And the reason why it's a longer journey is because, you know, I was just writing something before around training and, that, you know, it could be easier to go and sit on a machine and that could get us stronger pretty quickly. And and then we could probably build a bit more muscle. And so metabolically, we'd probably be a little bit stronger than doing bodyweight strength training, which is how I approach it. But for me, I don't believe that you can start to create the connection with your own body if you're just sitting on a machine. You know, if you're using your own body and it's uncomfortable and it's hard and there's a lot of friction that my women feel. And I'm sure uh, you're the same, Nikki, when you introduce like yoga in these poses and holds. Movement is so powerful. Movement with your own body is how you start mm. to build a connection. And I think this is why it's cool seeing a dietitian um come at it and add movement in and like people would think well why are you doing that like you're again you're a dietitian but it's like well no because the movement is a key piece to help you connect to your body and get in your Mm. body because you experience discomfort but then you also experience um, getting stronger and feeling more connected to the body and you have to pay attention to actually what you're doing. And so things like bodyweight strength training and yoga, there's like this attention, awareness and listening piece that's very different to go and sit on to go and sit on a machine. Not there's anything there's nothing wrong with machines. They're amazing, but it's like mm. it's missing the connection piece. And yeah. yeah, I love just you using that as an example with yoga because so many women don't know how to like listen to themselves. They'd, and I think movement is a cool way to get them to start to learn because you're like, okay, you've mm. got to hold this pose. 
what thoughts are coming up? What do you feel in your body? You know, what, like what's going on? What did you learn about yourself or that mood today? And then they can be like, oh, okay, that's like what listening is, or that's like what sitting with discomfort is. And then you can start to like go into other areas of your life. Mm. I don't know if you find that with your work, like the movement piece really powerful. Yeah, I think it's it's a piece where it takes a, a lot more for women to trust that that's something that they need to do because they are disconnected with their body. I think a huge thing, you see it when someone's like, oh, I can't, I can't do yoga. I'm like, well, you can walk, you can lift things off the floor. Like you can still move your body. Just think of it as like moving your body in a different way, but you're more moving your body and connecting with your breath at the same time. So it's like bringing the attention inwards. And I guess one thing that um, I've kind of tried to work through myself over the years is we always like think that the answer to our problems is like out there we need to get something more like we need to do something more we need to like take some supplement we need to like take something or it's like like with a food piece with gut symptoms I need to it's something I'm eating whereas there's a there's a thing with regards to during yoga teaching it's like the answer is actually within you you just have to be able to able to listen to your own self to work out what that is and a little bit it comes in a little bit with like the intuitive eating piece with nutrition as well with the interoceptive awareness and and that whole piece of we see it with babies and I see it with my daughter um she knows when she's had enough and like she'll tell you I'm done but then she'll know exactly when she's hungry you know she it's like if you try and feed her out of those times it's like no go whereas we have got to that place and particularly women if they've been yo-yo dieting where it's like they've been told what to eat and when to eat and so they're like well I just need a plan and even some clients like we first start working together it's like well they're like well how many grams of protein do I need at lunchtime and I'm like whoa 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 whoa. let's just like take a step back we just need to actually lay down your the foundation first and then we'll talk about that later but that's not I guess what's important to start with for you and that's hard because that's they're coming in thinking I'm going to have like be told I'm going to see a dietitian I'm going to know what I'm going to eat at breakfast lunch and dinner and I'm like well it doesn't kind of work like that because every day is different you need to start to understand your own body and I'm not going to be here for you every single day for the rest of your life like we have that's where it's the whole process of that journey is you learning how to do some of this stuff yourself um and then bringing in the movement piece is interesting because sometimes it's thinking of the movement as like okay we start with oh let's just do it to increase strength or flexibility in a gentle way um you know mobility is a big thing as women get older they're like i need to maintain independence i need mobility um and that's sort of where it comes in but we've got to bring the breath in and all of a sudden they're like they take this like deep breath <laughs> particularly at like relaxation at the end of a class and it's like like oh I feel so relaxed <laughs> and it's like well how do you bring some of that breathing into your day-to-day life like are you having issues sleeping or you're waking during the night what type of breathing practices do you need to try to sort of stop the mind thinking of your thousand things you need to do between work and home life and family life and everything how do you 
get rid of all of that so you can just like breathe and go back to sleep because what you actually need is more sleep or need to be able to reduce stress like maybe you find road like driving stressful or um awkward conversations at work and you know how do you bring that in practically day to day so you actually reap some benefit um to your everyday life and only then once they see I guess that we call it an intervention have an effect then they think oh I actually see what this could do or you can see how I feel better from it and only then will they begin to want to do more yeah and how does um Actually, let's talk about the modern woman iceberg. So you made a post uh, a week or so ago of like the famous kind of like iceberg. You know, we can only see the tip of the iceberg and then there's a lot of shit underneath. Uh, Mm. Can you just talk to me a little bit about that? And, you know, I'm sure we've kind of covered some pieces of it, but I think it's a really powerful visual. Yeah, it's it's a little bit different to, I guess, those the other visual icebergs we see out there because like what you said often it's like the tip of the iceberg and underneath we saw like the negative stuff going on whereas I was sort of thinking well actually like often I see people talk you know it's women making comments about other women that I've seen and I started to be like well what are they seeing but what are we not seeing so maybe it's like oh this this woman's you know oh they've you know, they're really fit or they're, you know, managing it all. Like, how do they do it all? Like, those are the kind of comments. Like, everyone wants to be able to do it all, don't they? They want to be able to have all their ducks in a row all the time. But um, it's sort of like maybe we see that on the surface or we see someone doing something and we're like, that's awesome. Like, how are they showing up like that? But we don't see all the things that they do to keep themselves I say afloat as being an iceberg we've got to keep floating and I guess with that concept of icebergs is the majority of the iceberg is underwater and um, it's like I kind of see that as that's the part that keeps the top of the iceberg afloat and so it's it's related to the pillars of my program and that it's about um, fueling their body and mind for I guess we'll say performance to be able to perform and show up every day. Like it's not about athletic performance, but just to perform as a human being and whatever you're doing. Um, And a huge part of that is prioritizing gut health with regards to the gut brain connection and the food mood connection and how we need to be fueling for good rather than thinking I'm eating to lose weight or I'm eating to do this or I'm cutting out these food groups, you know, like that deprivation restriction cycle where we're not really nourishing anything. Um, but then the the other pillars, which are just as essential as the kind of nutrition food piece is moving your body daily because you want to. So like you've finally found something that feels good and it's like the human body is made to move we need to move daily and so it's like but what does that look like for you because that's going to look different for different people and then how that connects into looking after the nervous system so that is the key of keeping us functioning every single day but we need to make sure that we're not um you know, overloading it and we need to know how we can tap into enough recovery. So, you know, that's around balancing the stress load with 
um, getting our nervous system into that sort of rest and digest state so we can relax. It's also about making sure we have restorative sleep, which is our biggest form of recovery. So it's looking after that and also starting to understand how your nervous system reacts um, as an individual because everyone will react differently. Like some people will um, thrive in social situations. Other people will get this sort of overload and they need more time to recover after something like that. And then with that nervous system piece, we start to reconnect with our body, start to reconnect with our mind. But also part of that is just starting to understand that your body is your home. It's the only one you've got. You've got to start to work through any of the kind of past um, experiences that have made you change your perception of your body maybe it was like anything traumatic or anything that has um I guess fueled a negative body image in a way and it's like work that's again it's all individual so it's what does that look like for that individual but what is it that you need to overcome is it that you want to feel more confident in the clothes that you're wearing or is it you just want to be able to show up and hold hold space because you have every right to kind of hold space and take up space in this world so it's like what does that show up as and then and then it's like well how do you do all of this when you're so busy as a woman with a career and a family and all that so it's like right it's like we've got to be planned we've got to be prepared we've got to be a little bit more disciplined in some areas where it's like you're going to make these commitments to yourself that you're going to look it in the calendar and you're going to show up and you're going to do it and and it's the thing is it's like all the stuff that we don't see um and uh, uh, sorry the other one is like staying um staying motivated but also staying positive when things don't go to plan so like setbacks you get sick or you feel like you're going back and you know because of that how do you get back on track without thinking with sort of a, I guess an older mindset of everything's full apart. I'm just going to give up, you know, like, how do you keep going? How do you keep going? And all of those things, not saying it's easy, like what you said, like it's a long way home, but that is what keeps us going. That's what keeps us afloat. So we can actually show up every day and not go through these giant cycles of like, go, 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 burnout, crash. And then like, go, 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 burnout, crash. It's like, if we want to just like have some consistency, you've got to have that foundation there. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I think now like we're very intelligent, uh, us women. And I think, you know, there is a plethora of information out there and uh, resources and some of it not great, but there's a lot of really great stuff out there. I don't think it's, it's not an information problem. You know, we know that we need to sleep. We know that we need to eat. Yeah. We know we should be managing our stress. We know probably walking is good for us. I think the hard part is how do I approach it? How do I do mm. it? What you just said was like, okay, like, I don't know how to put it all together. <laughs> like, where do I, I often hear is like, I don't know where to start. Um, or like, I don't know if I can do it. It's, uh, and it's the approach piece, I think. And the support piece, that's a huge one. Mm. You know, I believe yeah. we need energy because we can't do anything in life if we don't have enough energy. So that's why we've got to get food in and we've got to sleep. 
And then once we've got some energy, we really just need a plan or, or an approach that works with us. And we need someone to support us through that. I don't know where we got this idea of like, we should be able to do it ourselves or do it alone. It's like, mm. no, because, you know, Nikki and I did a master's in dietetics and we've been in this space for like well over a decade. And it's like, but it took us a long time to like learn all this stuff and we've been immersed in it. You don't, it's not like you don't have to know it, but go and get mm. someone, go and get help from someone that can help with the approach. And I think that's the most powerful thing that you can do as a woman that has a lot of yeah. things on her plate and is really stressed and busy. Go and find someone that can help you get more energy in, that can create the approach with you and then support you to implement it for a longer period of time than, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I want to know, how does the gut stuff fit in? Can we just talk a little bit about um, like stress in the gut and the, yeah. the, the gut connection to the mind? And I'd also like to touch on, I think you just said before about food and mood. What did you call it? I Well, I, I mean, the I call it the food mood connection. Okay. I love that. <laughs> Which is, 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 is part of the, I guess, it's sort of part of the gut brain connection piece as well um but yeah stress in the gut I guess um it's interesting because when people well mostly women come to me and they've been diagnosed with IBS this was when I was just doing just you know individual consults it's like they've been diagnosed with IBS they're sort of told oh there's nothing actually wrong with your gut and it's a really hard thing to process because they've had all of these symptoms there's like it's affecting their daily life. And then the doctor tells them, well, there's nothing wrong with your gut. And it's not that there's anything medically, I guess, wrong with it or physically wrong, like with they've done biopsies and things. It's like it's healthy, but it's just not functioning. So it's like it's often called um, the instead of the gut-brain connection um, with IBS, often IBS and functional gut disorders, it's sort of starting to be called um, sort of gut-brain dysregulation. So like mm. the gut's not functioning properly because of, I guess, a mix-up in signals between the gut and the brain. And that's because with that gut-brain connection, it's that the gut and the brain are constantly talking to each other the whole time via the vagus nerve in the body. And so it's two-way communication, brain sending signals to the gut, gut sending signals to the brain. I guess the one that um, most people can identify with is like if you're nervous or anxious, you might feel butterflies in your stomach. Like that's not something we make up. It's the connection between the gut and the brain and how that presents as physical symptoms. And then that can be a huge part of the IBS piece over time and what we saw you know in the height of the pandemic with um, people having their lifestyle completely changed their jobs changed maybe they've seen family members become unwell or even losing family members um, they the level of underlying stress has just heightened so like their gut is constantly affected by that level of stress and when we're stressed or anxious or depressed, 
the brain is going to be sending signals to the gut, which disrupts how it functions. And so some of those things can mean that it decreases the blood flow to the digestive system. So then it can slow down digestion and we can feel more constipated. And then if we're more constipated, we can also feel more bloated. And then that makes us feel sluggish and tired. And then that's like those feelings sending back to the brain that like, it's not the gut's not functioning properly. It's not feeling good. And then that sends it back to the brain. But then there can also be like um, more tension. So if you're stressed, sometimes people feel tension in their jaw. The gut is surrounded by connective tissue and muscles. So um, there is also tension in the digestive system, which then can cause cramping and pain. Um, And it can also increase our sensitivity to pain or our perception of pain because of the pain receptors in the gut and then that can make symptoms that you already have it can make them feel worse so it's like it's like a layer on one layer and one layer and one layer and then it can just get to the point where it's like it's so bad and people were cutting out you know dairy cutting out gluten like making changes taking prebiotics and probiotics and you know they're just throwing everything in there trying to be like well what's gonna solve these symptoms when it's like the problem is, is there's that underlying stress and we have to um, get that gut-brain connection to settle down, but we also have to acknowledge that chronic stress and the increase in the amount of cortisol in the body from chronic stress can also alter the composition of the gut microbiome. And so there's this sort of cycle that actually that stress is causing the bacteria in the gut to change and there could be more... um, I guess, harmful or less beneficial bacteria. And so then the gut itself is not going to be as healthy. So it's like this, it's a cycle and we have to be able to pick like, where are we going to start to get off it so we can slowly um, calm down that gut-brain connection. Yeah, where do you normally start? Well, that's where the stress piece is like that first place. And a lot of people, it's the sleep because the sleep is the recovery that you need to counteract the stress load from your day. And so then it's like, well, let's just begin with, okay, focusing on sleep. We need to look at what's affecting sleep. How do we improve that? And also sleep is the time that the gut gets to relax and it gets to rest. And then it can be ready to be working again the next day. But another piece is also just really basic things like eating regular meals, because the gut will need food to be able to work. And sometimes, you know, there's this delay in eating when women wake up, if they skip breakfast and then they maybe have lunch at like one o'clock and then they've kind of gone from 7 p.m. the night before to one o'clock to have lunch and then one one o'clock to like seven o'clock again for dinner. And they're expecting one, they're expecting their, their body and their brain to function on nothing. But at the same time, it's like they're wondering why they have gut symptoms because of that but it's more how do you get in your day's worth of fiber and one or two meals it's impossible but even if you try you're just kind of giving I say it's like putting like a bomb of fiber into your gut and expecting it to be able to like process that um when it's kind of half asleep because it's not been working all day um so even just regular meals is such a big thing that can eliminate a lot of gut symptoms and help keep your blood sugar stable, keep your brain functioning. So then all of a sudden you're slowly building up the body resources to have more resilience to higher levels of stress and 
tapping into this sort of cycle that way. Mm. Yeah, it's um like you just said, it's like they're simple but not always easy. Uh, mm. <laughs> not always mm. easy if you have little humans and you <laughs> and you don't sleep a lot. Uh and yeah, not always easy if again you haven't uh you're not used to prioritizing yourself and getting yourself fed, but you're feeding the family or feeding the kids. Mm. Uh really it's a lot of like breaking down a lot of behaviors that we know that we've picked up and just creating awareness around that. Um, So you start with the sleep piece and just try and run some projects and run some interventions based on obviously who you're working with and where they are in their life. Um, And then Mm -hmm. you start with regular meals just so we can get the gut like moving and active and we can get the nutrition into it uh hopefully we can get the like the bowels moving as well yeah is there anything uh else there that you kind of start that seems simple but you've seen to be quite powerful when it comes to like gut stuff Mm. yeah I mean just working out how they can move their body at some point during the day whether that be like a 15 minute walk in their lunch break or something because exercise is a huge part of keeping the gut functioning properly because it's moving it's helping um the gut move the food through it's very useful if we have a tendency to feel constipated or bloated um and just moving the body uh helps the gut motility as in the food empty from the stomach into the bowel and to get it moving through that large bowel so it's sort of not sitting there and fermenting I guess for longer than we want it to be um, which is when we can then start to get more symptoms of bloating and gas and things like that. Yeah it's um you know when it comes to the gut stuff we really we have this all or nothing kind of approach we either like take all of this stuff out of the diet or we do nothing at all because we're like, well, nothing's working, <laughs> nothing's working. Uh, and, you know, I often tell a lot of my women, yeah, maybe for now, you know, we have to limit some certain things or just be aware of things that might cause a bit more inflammation or a bit more upset. But really when we're dealing with the stress piece and we strengthen like the metabolism, the nervous system's really good then what we can do is you can start to add some of these things back in, dose it a certain way. And we really, unless obviously we have massive allergies or intolerances, the gut really should be able to handle um, a lot of this Mm. stuff. But I think because previously they've tried so many things that are so uh, drastic, you know, if you think of like gut protocols out there and detoxes and they're like, remove everything and take everything out and this is bad and don't eat this and it's hard again to be like Mm. okay with like going a little bit slower and not changing everything at once and just trying to find maybe those situations or those foods that are maybe triggering symptoms a little bit more uh, and know that Mm. maybe eventually you can tolerate those things but there is you know, you need time. Yeah. Like the, the body and the nervous system needs time to heal. The gut needs time to like, you know, get, get stronger or they need that communication system back. Could you just speak uh, a little bit about like that and how you were 
approach, I guess, our idea of like, well, don't have that because that's bad and I'll never be enough, mm-hmm. I'll never be able to have that. Um Yeah. Oh, it's it's I would say it's well, I'll say it's a hundred percent of the time that, you know, as you said, people who've tried, you know, the biggest things they see is they start to have a few gut symptoms. They feel like they've, you know, things are getting worse, like or they've all of a sudden got symptoms which they never had to deal with before. The first things they'll cut out is like dairy and gluten because they think those are the things that cause issues. So I'll cut those out. And the the thing that um, is hardest for them to get their head around once we do start working together is like they cut those things out, didn't see a significant difference, but they just kept excluding them. And so then they excluded more. And then it's like, and then they're going to take out maybe onion and garlic or some other sort of, you know, high format foods. And it's thinking, well, it's it's not actually an all or nothing. So um, I used to say before, unless it's like an allergy, yes, we're going to remove it. Unless you've got celiac disease, yes, we're going to remove gluten completely. But anything else, anything to do with intolerance, it's never removing it. And it's never saying you can never have this again. It's all about understanding how much you can tolerate at that point in time and then working out one tolerance load with regards to the amount of that food but also the frequency of that food so is it like can you have that two meals in a row or even two days in a row or is it actually every second day you can tolerate a whole apple or every day you could have like half an apple you know just with regards to FODMAP load but often when women have cut out a lot of things and we're sort of getting rid of all this stuff to try and help our gut um there's so much anxiety wrapped around reintroducing some foods that they think are triggers. So maybe they ate out one night and they had like a creamy pasta and all of a sudden they're like, I can't have carbs or I can't have pasta. I can't have anything creamy. So I can't have dairy. And it's like that one experience causes them so much um, anxiety when we talk about bringing foods back in. And along with that regularity of meals, it's, about trying to work out how much you're eating right now. And most of the time, my focus is on getting people to eat more variety and more diversity rather than take things out. And that's also, I guess, a worry that people have when they start working. It's like, oh, I've tried everything. I'm cutting all those things out. I just don't have anything more I can cut out. I'm like, well, that's fine we don't want to cut anything more out we want to add stuff back in yeah what are you eating (laughs) and that's and sometimes it has got so stressful for them because they're at at the wits end of not being able to eat out enjoy social things they don't know what to eat they're eating like a very very small range of food Mm. um but i mean that's that's also part of the problem is that causes so much stress as well that then that's adding to their stress load is that they're constantly stressed about what they can and can't eat. So we need to kind of like layer it all back and try very slowly to reintroduce foods without increasing their anxiety or stress around food. Yeah. It's the mental load piece. Um, I did an amazing podcast. She's a good friend. She's a psychologist and she did her PhD on mental labor uh, in mm-hmm. like the family unit and how much mental load women carry. And uh, I remember having a conversation with one of my warriors when we originally were going to start working together. And she was telling this story about 
wine and like whether or not she'd have like half a glass of wine she came from like really stressed a bit of chronic fatigue stuff adrenal stuff and she was telling this story and I just said to her when she finished you are leaking more energy out of you thinking about having a glass of wine than just sitting down with your partner and having a beautiful dinner and drinking half the glass of wine (laughs) like if you feel like it, just drink it. And this is what we do mm. all the time as women. We leak so much energy out of us. No, I can't have that. Should I have that? How much should I have? I don't know what. Do I do this? Do I do that? Do I do that? And then also we're carrying the mental load of a lot of the times, a lot of the family or at least, you know, the the kids. And so it's the mental load piece that I feel mm. like having someone like yourself you know, doing something like your program, working with someone takes the mental load off you because then you have that plan or that strategy to be like, okay, we've got a plan here. You don't need to spend 15 minutes or an hour thinking about whether this is wrong or right or should or shouldn't or how much. And yeah, that's that's a huge piece, I think, for women. If we can release some Mm -hmm. of that mental load from them, they're just like, oh, okay, like Nikki's got a strategy for me. I'm going to try like half an apple every second day. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and the, the mental load piece is interesting. I mean, being a new mum, <laughs> you read there's so many um, amazing writers and poets out there who do like beautiful poetry around motherhood and, and carrying that invisible mental load. But then a lot of the women I work with as well, they're – it's very much the the type A personality where there's that perfectionism piece. It's like if I'm going to do it, I've got to do it perfectly, and um, it's that it's the all or nothing piece as well. And often that's where it's like I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it perfectly. But then if they don't, they're like I failed, and then they jump to the next thing. And that's where it's it's taking a step back and trying to let go of that perfectionism side and find the consistency that is what's needed. But that's where it, I honestly see most of the value is in the support and the accountability, the daily support and accountability, because no one can expect to do that on their own because you have to somehow be able to unload part of that mental load somewhere. So you have the space to be able to try these things and try and get some consistency. And I think when there is such a big mental load, we immediately just want that quick fix you know, it's like, oh, just tell me what to eat. Um, tell me when to do this. Tell me what to do. And, you know, they're like, because then you don't have to think about it. But the whole, the whole point of those is that they're not going to ever um, help with that connection piece because you're just kind of doing what you're told, right? But then there's also still that mental load of, oh, I didn't do what the plan told me to do, so I've failed. And so then it's like, they either try a different plan or they just kind of like, you know, give up completely. <laughs> um, but it's that support and accountability that is needed to help relieve some of that mental load as well as the actual credible plan that gets put in place that's personalized for that individual. Mm, yeah. I have an interesting question for you. Uh, you're a new mum. You're also in this space, you know, leading women in this space around all of this stuff that we've spoken about. I'd love for you to to share uh, if you're cool with it, like 
what's your experience been like with it? Um, and I'm just, I'll give you kind of a little bit of example. So, you know, I lead all of these women and I am not a mom, so I don't have small children. I have five nieces and nephews. I've been around children my entire life. Like my mom, you know, ran daycare centers and, uh, and so like, I, I have an understanding of it's a, it's a very hard role to bring a little human into the, your life, to lead little humans, to, you know, and we're talking about the stress and the mental load piece. And, you know, a big bulk of my work is teaching women that they, they've got to look, you've got to get energy in. You've got to look after yourself. Like you've got to be, you've, you've got to focus on you so you can lead Mm -hmm. yourself powerfully. So you can lead your family, your children. And like, I feel like I'm, I'm like their mother or their leader that like sometimes I'll like not forget about myself, but put so much like, like energy into them and like leading them that I get a bit of an understanding of like, oh yeah, I can see like how obviously when they're young, yeah, they, they survive because you need to feed them and and, and navigate them. But yeah, I'm just really curious about how like what's come up for you around that because like I truly believe when you need to put yourself first like you need to prioritize eating enough food and managing your stress and walking and asking for help and you know having I guess a tribe around you that that will support Mm. you and yeah I don't know if that, that that question kind of makes sense but I think it's an important question to to ask in our conversation today. Yeah, it's um it's a really good one and I guess it's been a journey, I think um as everyone says, like becoming a mum does change your life and they tell you all the things like, Oh, you'll never sleep properly again. I'm like, you don't sleep properly during pregnancy anyway, so I'm not sure. Like it's kinda of like it prepares you for the lack of sleep. Um but I mean I had some birth trauma and then we got home from hospital and had COVID for the first week so pretty much it was 100% survival mode for like the first 10 days of Maddie's life we were so unwell with COVID and um, like I was trying to recover from my birth experience as well as COVID (laughs) and and we had we did have you know they say it takes a village to raise a child and we did have a lot of support from friends and family keeping us fed and keeping us going but honestly since that first week you're like well that is absolute survival mode we had a baby we somehow had to keep alive while also trying to keep ourselves upright and functioning that it's like a lot of the stuff seemed a little bit um easier (laughs) after that but we have had quite a few challenges over the first sort of three four months and the interesting um thing I think back on is there's a lot of noise in the motherhood space particularly on social media Mm. and there's a lot of this kind of like berating about women who want to start exercising again and you should just appreciate your body post-birth and all this and I was like there's not enough talking about the mental health piece because it got to the point even after that first week 
like as soon as we could leave the house again after having COVID, I was like non-negotiables every day, have to have a nap and have to go for a walk. Like that was the only way it could keep functioning. If we were in, if, if we were home all day and I was just feeding and <laughs> changing nappies and hardly functioning and didn't leave the house, that was where I could just see the spiral um, unfolding. And there were definitely times where it was like touch and go, like, is this going to blow out into a bigger kind of mental health challenge post birth and things. But it's like that non-negotiable if you have to move, have to move my body and have to have a nap. And those were the two biggest things. Like we have a dog, which is lucky. It helped keep us going and it helped me go out for even getting 15 20 minutes to myself to walk the dog come back it's like oh that is a lot of time away from someone from a baby who's like attached to you Mm. a lot when when you're young but I think that that mental health piece has to be discussed from the get-go because there's so many challenges that come up and everyone's experience is different. And yes, everyone will tell you, oh, make sure you're looking after yourself. And you're like, well, I'm just like only just holding it together right now. So um, I am trying to look after myself. But the more you tell me, the more I think, do I need to be doing more to look after myself? And that's where it's like, that's where the expectation of, what you think you should be doing versus what you can manage starts to come in. And there were times where I was like, I should be able to do more. I should be able to do it. It's like, I'm keeping a human alive right now. I think that's like big enough. But mm. when people make some of those comments, it is quite hard depending what headspace you're in. And um, then at one point I was reading like a parenting book from um, there's a lady, Emily Oster. She's actually in, economist and she writes books around pregnancy and parenting but it's like data driven so she like just presents you with all the facts and then you can make your mind up as to how you want to approach something but there was a quote in one of her books and it was like it's easy to dismiss people who remind you to take care of yourself but taking care of yourself is actually part of your responsibility and that's like something that's sort of always kept is like I have time to go and do Pilates one to help build back my pelvic floor and core strength post um, birth but also that I need that hour to myself because then I come back completely revived and like oh we're ready we can handle the rest of the day and that only happens a couple of times a week but that's enough to start with and um, I think often when we talked about that mental load and the piece of like women who are trying to manage their family and their careers and everything it's like they're giving 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 it's like they're gonna be like they'll use you know work's an excuse or like their family's an excuse and I just literally always come back to the fact that no matter what at the end of the day you need to be in a place that you can be present with your family and your loved ones in a way that they like want you to be they want you to have the energy so that you can be there present and not completely exhausted and cranky and tired like it's also it's not actually that you're always doing things for them it's like by looking after yourself you're still doing things for them because you can you're going to be able to show off as a better mother you're not going to lose your temper over the little things you're not going to snap because you're exhausted it's giving you that kind of your own safety net that you need to then be able to 
do it for others. And it's it's as simple as that whole like put your own oxygen mask on first before before having others on the airplane. And that whole thing is it's like, well, how can you put like a baby's oxygen mask if you don't have any oxygen in you? <laughs> but you can't. Yeah, there you go. That's that's really simple. Yeah, I actually have never said that line, but it's true. It's I like the quote. I like her quote. Yeah, it's very powerful, that quote, yeah, because it is a responsibility, but it's also understanding that that responsibility shouldn't feel like a burden, and I guess that's part of trying to reconnect with yourself. It's like, well, for me, the non-negotiables are have to move my body which could be as simple as just taking the dog for a walk or it could be something a lot more and I need if I haven't had enough sleep I need to have a short nap because that was the only way to get through the day is when the nights were very broken and that's the same even if you don't have children and you have a broken night's sleep and having a short nap is also a tool to get more sleep it's to fill up that energy (laughs) it all comes back to the energy Yes. How can, how can we? Yeah. How can we plug our leaks or get more energy in? Because that's yeah. really how we're going to live. Like you just said, like a really, really powerful lives. You know, great lives. Things. You know, I have this belief that. You know, the idea. You know, first we were sold do it all. You can do it all, and I believe we can, just not at the same time. Yeah, we can. We can do. We can do whatever we want. But then what also sold the the newer one that came on stage was like, don't push yourself and slow down and like be a bit like, like, let's say like, let's less structured or disciplined or whatever we were talking about. Like, you know, Mm. this, and I think again, it was like, they swing too far. It's like, well, no, like we actually need we need to come into the middle. And I think the idea with life is to do as much as you want, but in a way that's supporting you and your physiology. And as long as you can get enough energy in and you're sleeping and you're managing your stress, like why not do more with your life? Like spend Mm. more time with your kids or do more activities or, you know, do whatever it is. And I think we've just got this idea. It's like, we we just get stuck again from Mm. the culture. It's like, do it all, have it all. And so we just like pushed and got exhausted. And then we kind of flipped to the other side, which was like, slow down and be easy and just like, don't do anything. And I think we've got to come into the middle of like, yeah. okay, if I get more energy in and I manage my stress and I, you know, I'm loving what I'm doing with my life. Like, why not do more of that? Because that's great. Yeah, we don't have a lot of time yeah. here. So, so, um, and I'd love to to end with you just talking about your program. Mm, I yeah, I mean, I guess we've talked about a few of the um, I knew so I guess parts of the journey or what people might go through. Um, but my program is called the Modern Woman Blueprint, and ultimately. Um, it's about finding your own blueprint to be energized and to thrive as a modern woman. And a lot of the time it's kind of how do we transition from that, you know, lack of energy, burnt out, stressed, bloated, um, you know, just feeling like nothing is functioning to this piece where it's like we can visualize what we want to be. It's like that energized, thriving, you know, the whole we can have it all, but we're having it all 
at different stages. Um, and the way the um, program begins is it, it's a six-month program to start with, um, and that's really to deep dive into the program, into um, personalized one-on-one coaching. Um, it also includes um, daily support and accountability. So that's such a huge piece, which I felt is so missing in um, helping women make progress in a traditional dietetic sense. Like you do an appointment, a few weeks later they come back. It's like, well, what's happened in that time? You know, how could we have overcome some of those barriers quicker? Like, and how can you help you move through those things so that it's not waiting three weeks to problem solve what's coming up? And and um, so that's a really big part of it. The program has four pillars in itself. I mean, everyone's going to come in with, I guess, from a different place. So they start focusing on a different pillar to someone else. But ultimately, we want to get to the point where we feel like we're at this um, point where we can say 100% firing on cylinders in all four pillars sort of by the end of the program. So the four pillars, including um, the first one we talk about is fuel. So that's learning to fuel your body and mind um, in a way that gives us more energy and gives us enough um, nourishment to conquer every day. Um, It's about restoring and reviving a healthy gut because, Mm. you know, that healthy gut gives us that extra edge. We want that extra edge the extra energy to actually thrive um and a huge food piece is our confidence around food and and that can be deciding what to eat what to cook how to cook like what do you need to feed yourself and your family that's nutritious and delicious like we need to get excited about food I think we can't ever um get to the point where food is just fuel we need to think of it as it's a huge part of life and social situations and adds so much to the soul. Um, So that's a really important piece there. And then the next pillar is around is called restore. And that is about um, restoring that connection with your body and your mind. So um, from anything from the perception of your body, from your, your body image, tuning into what your body is telling you, even from the basics of like our hunger cues to what is your body telling you when you're feeling stressed, when you're not had enough sleep, like what is it telling you? So can we reconnect with that? Mm-hmm. The the third pillar is to is balance. So where do we get there? So we want to be able to um, understand what the body needs to recover properly so that the nervous system is balanced and we can keep feeling our best and showing up every day even when things don't go to plan it's like how do we show up in the best way possible um and that's where I bring in the wearable technology that I use which measures stress and recovery and you get the real-time data within the app which shows you okay how is my body responding to different parts of my day is my how what's my stress load like through the day where do I need to bring in some moments of recovery wherever that be um through movement or through other forms of rest and relaxation and then how does that affect my sleep at night and we generally do um, a baseline measure to sort of look at where some of you know what you call leaks are happening at the moment and then we'll do regular measurements throughout the six months to see how things have changed Um, the great thing with that 
is also it does as close um as it can to your vo2 max for a fitness level test so helping looking at your cardiovascular fitness which is gonna if we can improve that over the six months as well then that will help with your ability to recover as so that's a really big part of that piece and then the final pillar is align so we want to be able to align our life and our life goals so that we're all moving, everything's moving in the same direction. Um, and so that's like resetting, looking at where the lifestyle may not be supporting your goals and where those frustrations are coming in. We also look at that planning and preparation piece. Like, yes, there's discipline required at times. We need to feel, um, we need to plan and prepare. And also routine is crucial to the consistency and also to success so it's working out how we can do all of that but ultimately that helps us feel like we can get more out of every day because we're not having to spend half an hour deciding what we're going to do next or (laughs) what we're going to um, when we're going to move our body or what we're going to cook for dinner it's like if we've planned it it's like it's there and you've got to trust that you were making the right decision at the time so that when that comes along, it's like, that's what I'm going to do. Um, and also, how do we work through speed bumps and things? You know, when you get sick, like when you have setbacks, whether that be personal, professional, like how do we manage those so that they don't derail um, everything that you want to do and what you're working towards? So we bring all of that together um, over the six months and it includes, um, you know, that one-to-one coaching piece, that daily support, but also a huge hub of tools that will help you get there and obviously Amy you are one of the guest experts to provide us and my clients with their expertise around strength training because that's such a huge piece for women and I bring in experts to give um, that I guess knowledge so that it's well-rounded and we're covering those bases. Thanks so much for sharing Nikki and you know what? I think it's it's so cool because it's just it's not possible with traditional models. Like I'm just talking about the dietetics model. Yeah, even in private practice, it's like okay, you come and see initial. You don't see them for maybe once a month if you're lucky. Sometimes it's even mm. a bit longer. Again, it, it just depends, obviously. There's like different cases depending on what area you work in and how severe, you know, someone's case is. But, you know, you take that and it's like, but like it just like it can't work or it can't work as powerfully as it could or it can't help as fast as it could. You know, I'm not, I'm not for fast, but it really truly does take at least six months. If not, Mm. I believe more so a year really (laughs) to like basically look at everything that we've discussed. Yeah. And we just can't do it with one session or one-off sessions. And there's so many people out there, like I did it, but it didn't work. It's like, well, no, Mm. like you just – you needed a stronger model or you needed a stronger program or you needed more time or you needed more support. Or sometimes it's like, yeah, you needed better information because you didn't get great information. But a lot of the time it's like, no, you just like, you needed more, you needed more Mm. time. You needed more attention. You needed to work a bit harder at it. Um, And so I just, yeah, I commend you for a kind of 
veering away from the way that we were taught and seeing that no, actually for me to really be powerful and to really help, like it's got to be more, it's got to be bigger, it's got to be longer, it's got to, yeah, it's got to have more. And I think, yeah, I just celebrate you. You know, it's not an easy thing to do to step away from kind of, you know, how, how you were taught and then to start your own business and it's, it's hard. And so I think, yeah, what you've created is really powerful and it's going to help a lot of, a lot of women. Mm. Thanks so much, Amy. And it's been great to talk about it and share it with you and also to share it with someone who has a lot of the same beliefs about how to, I guess, give women more to help them more. Um, because there are a lot of women who do need it. Yes. You can have energy and you can poo and you can be happy and you (laughs) or maybe not poo as much. I don't know, depending on what's going on with your gut, but Mm. it's possible. Yeah. Like it is, it's possible to feel great and have energy and move your body and have a great relationship with food. You just need help. You just need support and that's okay. Mm. So, Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks, Amy. I appreciate you. Thanks so much. Warrior Woman, thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't, please give the podcast some love by subscribing now. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate it and share it with another Warrior Woman. Also, if you want to go crazy, I'd love if you wrote a review for the Warrior School podcast. And also share and tag me with your biggest takeaways for the episode on the gram. Okay, Warrior Woman, have a great week in training. Bye for now.